Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle. Up and good. Leon to fast break. Executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wall with the rebound. No good. Rebound Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Jacob's going to run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf rolling in underneath. Did he go through? Welcome to Penalty Box. I'm Sam Mitchell, here uh, as always with Carter Thompson and Mark Margolis. And this is the first episode of what's going to be a weekly podcast, uh, running down everything Penn Athletics from the past week. Um, It's Monday evening, we're recording this, should go up the next few hours. And um, today we're talking about a lot of things, including Penn basketball. Yeah, we're talking about Penn basketball, men's and women's. We're also going to talk about how fencing won their third straight Ivy League championship. And we're also going to hear a little bit from Mark about his experience at the Super Bowl. And so, Mark, do you want to just go ahead and lead us into that? Uh, So starting off at the Super Bowl, it was lit. Uh, As an Eagles fan, uh, although I'm a little sad I missed the uh, riots after the game, uh, I was very happy to see my team pull it out. Uh, I got the tickets through... Um, one of my dad's college friends, who they happened to go to Penn together, so shout out to the Quakers. Um, the tickets were probably the best seats I've ever had to a game. They were in between the end zone and the five-yard line, about 14 rows up. Um, we were surrounded by mainly Eagles fans, and when Tom Brady's pass finally hit the turf, that Hail Mary at the end, that was probably one of the best. That's probably the best moment I've ever had about the Eagles as an Eagles fan. Was it pretty loud in the stadium with all the Eagles fans there and everything? It was loud. I would say, I mean, I don't actually, I'd probably go to maybe one football game a year, if that, because we tend to watch at home as a family, or when I'm at school, I watch with my friend. But I would say on average, Lincoln Financial Field is louder, but it's not like the same atmosphere, you know? It's, it's very different. I will say one thing, the halftime show was like, in, being there like was not as cool as I thought it would be. Uh, JT, as much as I love JT, uh, you know, the sound system was a little messed up in the stadium, so it was almost like watching, like, something far off in the distance and just, like, a small crowd of people huddling around (laughs) JT. We did see the awkward selfie, though, um, that went viral, but... Yeah, what was that kid doing? He was just, like, looking at his phone when Timberlake was, like, right next to him. I didn't know what the kid was doing. JT has to realize he's maybe not that big of a deal with these kids. I mean, he's a little young. (laughs) JT was JT, you know, Justin Timberlake, in case you don't know who I'm referring to. Uh, you know, he, I don't think he's not as big of a deal now, I guess, as he used to be. And, you know, the younger generation, you know, kids 12 and under, they don't appreciate him. You know, well, they should. Yeah, I mean, it's loss. Yeah. <laughs> but back on to uh, more important things like Penn Athletics. Oh, I won't say one more important, but I guess more pertinent to the podcast. Uh, going back to that, uh, so Penn, suff- Penn men's basketball suffered their first uh, Ivy League loss this weekend. And so what are your guys' takes? Is there any reason to be particularly concerned? And what should we take away from this? Yeah, you know, um, I was excited to, to come on the pod and talk about, you know, going into Harvard and beating Harvard and all that, which, you know, obviously we're unable to do. But I, I don't think there's really any reason for concern. I think a little bit of adversity is... It's just kind of what this team needs. You know, Cole wrote a great column about that, um, or, you know, related to that idea. But, um, 
you know, they've got all these really close wins, some going into overtime, and they keep pulling out the win. And so I think that just, like, you know, when you're talking about a tournament where, you know, as we've talked about in the past, it's like win and move on, um, you know, and, and it's just about about getting that win because otherwise you're, you're just done. Um, I think having that experience of losing and, and, and just having that in your season is important. Yeah, I mean, and that that's a notoriously hard road trip, too. I mean, to drive all the way up to Dartmouth and then down to Harvard and, and you know, not making excuses or anything like that, but, I mean, that's just a rough trip to have to go on, and it's definitely excusable for them to have a game where they come out and just weren't really on their, you know, on their A game. And I was talking to one of the guys on the team, and he said, look, like, when we got done with the game, like, coach came in, and he was like, look, like, you know, this happened, let's move on, and we basically just got on the bus and left. And so, like, they, you know, obviously they, nobody wants to lose, but I don't think that they're taking it too hard, and they know that it was just probably, like, you know, just one of those games where they just come out a little flat, and then, you know, it's just tough to win on the road. Tough to win on the road yeah, in this I don't, conference. I don't think anyone was expecting, even within the DP, the post and bubble, was expecting, you know, Penn to run the table in the Ivy League. But, um... But on that note, I do think that Harvard cemented themselves as, you know, I think the best team in the Ivy League right now. Regardless of the road trip, I mean, they are without their reigning first-team All-Ivy League guard and Bryce Aiken. And so I do see, I mean, it is a tough road trip to make. And, you know, you can make all the excuses you want, but I think Harvard did show that for right now they are, you know, the best team in the league. That doesn't mean, you know, last year Penn was by far not the best team in the league, and they still almost beat Prince in the tournament. So I don't think this is any cause of concern for their NCAA tournament hosts, but I do think this indicates, you know, where the power lies in the league. And I think Harvard, you know, unfortunately for Quaker fans, is the best team in the league right now. Mm. And and I think when we host Harvard in a couple weeks at the Palestra, that's going to be a real test to see, like, look, all right, there's a hard road loss, it was a tough back-to-back, but when they come to the Palestra, you know, Penn's going to have to It's a better indication, for sure. Right. It's a better indication. But even so, you know, regardless how it goes, you know, there's a very good chance we see them a third time in the tournament, and that's the one that matters. And I, nothing from this game indicated they couldn't beat them, you know? Right. Every, right. you know, even last, going back again, last season, everything we saw from the first two Princeton games, uh, when Penn played Princeton, I believe they got swept. Yeah, they, everything we saw last year from the two Princeton games indicated Penn couldn't beat them, and they took them overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a missed free throw away from you know, going to the Ivy League championship. So, you know, it's it was a tough loss. You know, it's clear, I think. I think it's, you can say confident, I can say confidently, I think Harvard right now mm-hmm. is the best team in the league, but I'm, you know, not really worried and I'm not concerned that Penn can't pull it out when it matters, which is the tournament. Yeah. Because neither team's getting an at-large bid. And I, I like what you bring up, too, about how, like, the tournament is what matters, because it's true. Like, right now, with the way that it's set up, like, you don't have to be the regular season champ anymore just to get into the or to get into the NCAA tournament. Like, you just have to be one of the top four teams to get into the Ivy League tournament, and then all you, you know, anything can happen from there. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what your regular season record is at that point. Then you just have to win. So I completely agree that that's when it really matters, and that's when it's going to count. Yeah. Anyway, moving along to the other basketball team on campus, Um, Penn women's basketball was just dominant again um, and had another great performance from Michelle Wilketty again, um, and they're just cooking and just firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, their two games this weekend were truly incredible, uh, especially, you know, no Ketty over 
over Harvard where, where Harvard's coming in and, and we think is maybe, uh, you know, what, what, is definitely one of the better teams, maybe, maybe one of the best teams in the, in the Ivy League right now, and, and Penn doesn't even really give them a second look. Um, and so I think now would be a good time to introduce, uh, we have a special guest, uh, our senior sports editor and women's basketball guru, uh, Pollock, is here. Hello. Jonathan Pollock, yeah. <coughs> Jonathan name. Pollock, yeah. Hi there. How are you guys doing? Thanks for, thanks for yeah. joining us on this episode. <laughs> of course, of course. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. love to talk about Sounds women's like. basketball. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for them. Uh, I've, I've watched pretty much all their games the past month or so, covered a lot of them. Uh, this is a completely different team than the one that, that uh, took on Princeton uh, in the first Ivy game of the season. They're really uh, meshing together as a unit. They're all feeding off each other. Uh, Coach, uh, Coach Blockman said to me, I think the last time I talked to him that they're just getting better and better every day, and I, I, I really believe it. I think that they definitely have what it takes to take down um, who I see as currently the top team um, in, in the Ivy League right now uh, in Princeton. Um. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, Noketi and Parker, and, and they're, of course, huge anchors for this team and, and incredible performers, but... It, some of the real, um, the real improvement I think in this team has also come out of their guards. I mean that they just have stepped up. I, I've watched the past couple of games too, and and just in an incredible way, especially on defense, really locking down. You know, Dartmouth came into this game the top, uh, the top shooting team in both three point percentage and field goal percentage, and Penn held them to twenty eight percent on field goals in that game. I mean, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. They just. They just lock it down, and, and when the other team can't hit shots, that, that's how you get these blowout wins mm-hmm. that, that Penn keeps putting up. You know? um, I mentioned this uh, in the roundtable that should be up soon, but also you know, one of the big keys is for any basketball game is the bench. And in the first go-around against Princeton, they didn't have the services of Phoebe Sturba. But coming around, I mean, you know, she's not, she doesn't necessarily light up the stat sheet, but she, you know, she takes... She takes she takes a lot of minutes off the bench, and so you know what do you got? I mean, the guys who you know, I guess are beat reporters who cover women's basketball each game. What do you guys think of uh, the? Do you guys think uh, Sturba could make more of an impact this go around? Absolutely, and I, I think it's more than just her off the bench. Um, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but I think our bench scored single digit number of points. In the, yeah, they in the first nine, nine points. Yes, nine points in the in the first uh, matchup, as opposed to um, Princeton, who had like twenty something points because yeah. because uh, Gabrielle Rush just came off the bench, draining threes. And keep in mind, a lot of some of those nine points came in garbage time. So, right. You know, when the right. game was tight, it was I, mean, I you know I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but I mean they were. Hovering around five bench points when the game when the game matters. Yeah, so. uh, in, in in recent weeks the bench has, has really stepped up. Um, players like Sturba and uh, Beth Brzezowski and Princess Aguilari and Katie Kinnum have all come in and, and sort of had their their moment in the spotlight and all taken over games for a little while and, and really helped supplement the the starting five. In there's a in lot scoring. of experience off the bench. Too. There is, I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's a senior, a junior. Uh, and a sophomore and you know, a freshman who's provided a lot of the scoring punch, but there's a lot of experience coming off the bench, which is a you know a huge advantage. A lot of time, you know, given you know, 
no Ivy League women's players are, gra- are you know, leaving early for WNBA, so you expect to see, you know, a lot of the seniority, a lot of seniority in terms of the starting lineup, but, you know, we were seeing a lot of talent and a lot of age, you know, a lot of older players coming off the bench, which I think, you know, return of Sturba could be a huge, could be a huge plus going into the game tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was just going to say, I think McLaughlin also is uh, really trusting his bench a lot more. You know, you look at somebody like Sturba, um, who her, her average for minutes per game this season is only 11, but that's pretty misleading because she's regularly been playing uh, up to almost 20 minutes in, in these conference games. And, you know, she doesn't rack up a ton of points usually, but she's good for a couple threes usually, and, and she plays good defense, and she's a good passer. she's the so. second-leading scorer, second or third, like, you know, second-leading scorer coming off the bench. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't have that number, but, but I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, so, like... You know, we're talking about the bench and all of that. And so, Pollock, do you think that that the bench is going to be, like, the key thing that swings this matchup with Princeton on Tuesday? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think the key thing is shutting down uh, who I think is the best player in the Ivy League in uh, Bella Allery, uh, Princeton's sophomore forward slash guard slash that. She does everything. Um, she's... I think she's averaging something like 15 points a game, and against us, she had she almost had a double-double with blocks. Um, she's just dynamic on both sides of the ball, uh, and she's torched us in the past. So I, I think it's going to be really on the entire team to sort of lock her down and make her work for her shots, because there are a lot of times in the first game where she just had easy looks inside, um, and I think it, it's... It's going to take a, a tag team effort from Michelle and Alea down low and the guards outside uh, to make um, Bella really, really struggle inside and make her look to her teammates. Because if, if they can shut Bella down inside um, and, and force Princeton to shoot outside, our guards, as we've already talked about, our guards are, are great defending shots on the perimeter, um, and I think that could lead Princeton to really struggle. Oh, and uh, sorry, a quick stat correction. So Phoebe is not the second leading scorer coming off the bench. She's the third, but a lot of that could be when she was first coming back. You know, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't playing a lot of minutes. She wasn't putting up a lot of points. But so just, you know, no need for stat, no need correction at the end. Just want to throw out a made mistake uh, right then and there. Um, well, thank yeah. you to owning up to it. Yeah. We really appreciate that. You know, even, you, know, I'm not <laughs> you might think by my articles I'm a machine, but I am human. <laughs> well, that's, that's great insight. Well, thanks, Pollock, for, uh, for offering that. And um, that's going to be a big game, big game on Tuesday. I think that we're all going to be locked in and tuned into that one and watching it. And so yeah. definitely going to be uh, interesting to see who comes out on top, on top in that one. Um, so now... You know, moving on to some other teams in Penn Athletics, fencing, uh, third straight year Ivy League champions on the men's side. Dynasty. Incredible. Incredible. Are they are they a dynasty now? I mean, that's that's big stuff. Not that's only three, not once, not twice, yeah. and three Unlike three times. LeBron, they deliver. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think one of the the things that really helps you make the argument that they're a dynasty is it, it's not like you know. It's just because it, it, it's great when you've got a team of people who are all pretty good and they come together to be a champion. But, but this team doesn't just 
come together to be champions. I mean, they have real stars. They have people who are going to go on to be nationally ranked fencers when they leave the program. So I, I think every dynasty needs its stars, and, and Penn Fencing definitely has them. And of all the people who deserve it, shout out to Coach Ma, Andy Ma. Uh, probably, you know, whenever never had the honor to interview him, definitely one of like, the nicer coaches I've come across in Penn Athletics. Not taking away from anyone else, but, you know, you know, another a great guy doing great things. Yeah, he's fantastic. Definitely. And, uh, Speaking of coaches, I know we have a great feature up on Slava Danilov, who's uh, one of the assistant coaches from the former USSR. So that's that was a pretty interesting read. Um, but yeah, they're just kind of a, a cool group of people and work on the fencing staff apparently. But uh, you know, now they're champions for the third time. So yeah, yeah, it's it's really impressive because I mean I know a couple of the fencers and they always you know think oh well you know we're obviously a really good team because we won you know two straight Ivy League championships and like a lot of people don't usually talk about us and stuff like that but I think that they're at the point now where you can't not talk about it you can't not talk about a team that's won three straight Ivy League championships and I mean it's just it's impressive like any level really yeah absolutely I mean it's so shout out to them that's an extremely impressive accomplishment and they beat number one ranked Harvard in one of those matches, I forget which one, if it was the first or at one other point mm-hmm. in the championship, but, I mean, you know, just unbelievably impressive stuff. Like, you can find all kinds of things that were good about this weekend, so just super impressive by them. And This, this segment bears a little bit of explanation, but um, this is uh, in honor of one of our sports editors uh, here at the DP, Cole Jacobson, who um, really is just he's not a soft person and and he i think inspires all of us to you know uh, approach life uh with the with the goal to to be as the key thing is he plays sprint football and right. he's very big yes he's a big man <laughs> he's big he's soft on the inside but very big and very strong on the outside he's one of the defensive ends on our uh on our sprint football team right. which came up just a little bit short this year but um so yeah, this award is in honor of one of our Swole editors, right. Swole Jacobson. And so we're recognizing the uh, the hard-nosed athlete of the week, the who's you know the toughest, the least soft athlete of the week, and, and each week we all get to kind of put forward our case for for who we think is is deserving of the award. So uh, I'm gonna go first and um, propose that we give it to Alex Hartke for the inaugural award because. Uh, not only did the entire gymnastics team uh, set, I believe, set a program record in their meet, um, for, which was their senior meet also, hosted at the Palestra, but Alex Hartke posted a 9.925, which, uh, outside of just being a career high for her on the floor, is the second highest score in program history, um, which is just incredible, especially considering you know Penn Gymnastics has a long winning tradition with, with many great gymnasts who've come through it. And so uh, Alex Hartke, I think, really gutted it out, toughed out that, that uh, floor routine, and, and put up a lot of points for Penn Gymnastics. Uh, so my choice is going to be A.J. Broder, uh, particularly for his performance against Dartmouth. You know, Dartmouth, you see them as a league bottom dweller, but, you know, they got their first win, Ivy League win against Princeton this week. And they they uh, they played Penn very tough. They went overtime against Brown, I believe. Uh, so this is this is a team that's played most of the league very tough. So this is a, definitely a win 
the Quakers can hang their hat off of, and they couldn't have done it without A.J. Broder, who had uh, 10 rebounds and 20 points. Uh, he was definitely big down the stretch. He had nine defensive rebounds. And in a game when the first half, they definitely struggled with rebounding. Uh, you know, the sophomore uh, sophomore out of Mount Hermon, Northfield Mount Hermon, definitely stepped up. And without him, you know, Penn might have had two Ivy League losses this weekend. Yeah, definitely a good case. But for me, I think that the hard-nosed player of the week should go to Melissa Alves of the women's squash team. So in her senior senior weekend, she had two five-set victories, um, both hard-fought. But the last one coming against Columbia, she was down two sets to none and came back in what is going to be her final uh, appearance in the Ringe uh, squash courts, um, although they ended up losing that match. But she came back and had a extremely impressive 3-2 um, victory um, and just very well done. I mean, two five-setters back-to-back win both of them. That's that's strong work. Well done. Great. Um, I think those are all promising candidates. I don't know. It, uh, There's no way. I don't think we have, you know, maybe in the future we'll have someone pick a winner, whoever made the yeah, best maybe, case. Maybe we can but have a But for poll. now, you know, <laughs> yeah. participation trophies are pretty big these days, so it's a three-way tie. But, uh... You know, I, I think that's a good rationale, and that's what we're going to do for the time being. Um, but I will just point us all to the Cole Jacobson quote, which is that ties are soft, and that's, that's not going to Well, he's not here. He's, he's, that's right, he's not here. We just, we maybe we should have Pollock vote on it. Yeah. Do you want me to be the deciding vote? I think sure. you need to. Yeah, we can did, have a time. Did you hear all case of the cases? Cases? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I think, uh, think Alvis. She got out two five setters. She yes. came, and in in the uh, the the second one, which was the home match, she was down two one, and she convincingly won the the last two games to win her final match at home. And I think that's uh really impressive. That that is hard nosed. In light of there no longer being a three way tie, I am super triggered, and you know I guess I'll concede second or third place. But so be it. <laughs> no participation trophy for me. Well, right. in the meantime of my dominant victory, I have started a win column for this podcast, and so oh, I've, I've stuck a one in that column. So we're gonna keep that going for the rest of the year, nice. and we'll update those as as we go along. Well, congrats right. to Melissa Alves, and congrats to Carter on a a well deserved victory. Um, on our first hard-nosed player of the week. Awesome. Um, next year's deciding. Next week's deciding factor might have a 20 under their door, but... <laughs> <laughs> or well, I'll swipe you into Hill or something. <laughs> <laughs> that one involves free food. That'd be nice. Yeah. So, anyway, well, thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of The Penalty Box. Um, we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much to our producers, Lauren Sorrentino and Yossi Weitzman. Uh, Thank you so much to Jonathan Pollock for joining us on this week's episode. And we'll hope to see you next week. Thanks so much. So we have a bit of a special thing uh, to go along with this podcast and all the Super Bowl talk that we were doing earlier. Um, I had the chance to sit down and talk with uh, Professor Rimmer, who's in the math department here. Um, And we just talked about some... Uh, stats-oriented stuff and, and some, some kind of quantitative analysis lines uh, on the Super Bowl and just some stuff that he found interesting, and he's a really smart guy. So if you're at all interested in that, just keep listening, and uh, that's coming up next. Great. So um, I don't know what you 
have written down there what you've been thinking about or mm-hmm. what kind of direction you want to take this. But um, I guess just let's just start with broad kind of reactions or, or mm-hmm. some some big points that you're thinking about from so, the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I'm watching the game and I'm thinking something's not right numbers wise. This is this is this shouldn't be right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm looking and I'm and I'm a fan of the Eagles, but I'm I'm, I'm just thinking that. There's no penalties being called mm-hmm. on the Patriots. It wasn't like super unbalanced, like, you know, 10 against the Eagles and one against. But no, they had one penalty for five yards. And I should have, like, I should have expected it. I didn't realize that, you know, their last game against the Jaguars, they only had one penalty. And it's, it's I, I basically, I, so, I, so I looked it up. I said, that's got to be a record, like the whole, the whole game without, mm-hmm. you know, with only one penalty. And so um, it turned out that, uh, it's it's not a record. It's been done before, but it hasn't been done in a long time. And but if you look at their total playoffs, they with the one in the uh, the, the um, AFC Championship and the one in the Super Bowl and, and only four in the game before that is ridiculous. So six penalties for three games. Mm-hmm. That's a record there. So I, I had to look that up. I just um, no, but I, I, so I started thinking why. Like so, I guess you know Belichick is really good at like talking to the refs, finding out the parameters of what they're gonna call. And and basically coaching his guys to like, don't go beyond these boundaries. They'll let you go five and a half yards by you know roughing the guy up. But if you go past that, they're gonna throw the penalty on you. So um, I just thought that was very strange. Like wow, you know only one penalty. Like usually you know the flags are throwing. The game is all slowed down. So that was the very first thing that just struck me like odd mathematically. Right. <laughs> I, and I mean. I, I, I don't know if you know exactly. I don't remember, but mm-hmm. how, how many were called in the Eagles? Because it's uh, sort of six. Six, okay. Yeah, for 35 yards. Okay. Because it, it seemed <laughs> yeah. like there weren't a lot. Generally, yeah. they were kind of letting them play. That's good. Yeah, letting, yeah. letting them play. And it wasn't like uh, they didn't get in the way. Usually, sometimes the refs like right. want to like I don't know show off for <laughs> yeah. now. But no, not not this game. They let them play, and the game went fast, and it was it was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah, and so that, yeah, I noted that I was like Snapchatting during the game, and I, and I was snapping. I was like, "Wow!" So I looked it up, and I was like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> no penalties, and then only one." And then um, the second thing that was really odd was uh, no punts. Mm-hmm. I thought that was strange too. Like they didn't have to punt the ball at all. Like every time they got the ball, something positive happened. They drove all the way down, field goal miss or field goal or touchdown or. Just the one final um, turnover, like, jeez. <laughs> so now I looked that up, and that was a record. And that hasn't happened in the Super Bowl in a while. Like, no punts at all. Wow. Um, and uh, I guess it's been nine seasons since that happened, <laughs> um, where they, they, only, they punted zero times. It's never happened in the Super Bowl, though. Wow. Yeah, I haven't looked that up. And now I'm thinking, wow, we haven't really gotten to the quarterback either. All right, let's look this up. It is ridiculous. No sacks the whole game? Right. So, wait, no sack. They didn't sack, you know, Nick Foles either. So, wait, so the only sack was that one, you know, sack fumble at the end. So, the whole right. game, one sack. Right. Uh, and that's a record for combined. I was like, okay, uh, that had to be a record because there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, I mean, know, it, and it's crazy. funny because they always say defense wins championships, right? Not but that not, one. <laughs> not this year. <laughs> Yeah, it was all offense. Wow, such an exciting game. So I've you know looked up the offensive stats and just like, wow, the combined yards just out of control. He yeah. threw for 505 yards. Like yeah. <laughs> that's record for any game, not just Super Bowl. Any game ever, <laughs> he broke his own record or something. Right. Like, ridiculous, 505 yards thrown. Jeez. 
And they still lost. Like, there's no way statistically that they should have lost that game with him right. throwing for 505, them not having to punt at all. Like, right. if, if, if somebody told you a week ago Tom Brady's <laughs> going to throw for 500 yards, three touchdowns, and the Patriots won't punt, and they ask you to pick who's going to win the game. I, mean, I can tell you how much they would have won by two. Because they got a little sample of simulation in there. There's no way they should have lost. Gave up 613 total yards. Like, Beyond just a passing of 505, they gave almost another 100 and rushing. Like, right. they should not have lost that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the Eagles, yeah, that was the worst uh, defensive showing ever in the Super Bowl as far as yards allowed. Crazy. Yeah. But they won. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's those. Uh, I meant that I didn't look this up, but I meant to look up these, these fourth down calls, these gutsy mm-hmm. calls. Like, I'm sure, like, that's got to be something uh, statistically that – you know, the way he went for the two of them, and he got them both, and just the timing of them, though, mm-hmm. is like, I did not want my offense to stop. I did not want to punt. We were on a roll, and I didn't want to give that guy the ball back. Right. <laughs> I know it's going to happen. It's been happening all game. Like, there's no punting. They're going to come down. They're going to score. So let me go for it on fourth down. Right. And then a trick play? <laughs> yeah, first quarterback to catch a touchdown. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it was great. It was great to watch so many points. Like, it was it was it was fun. It was fun to watch. And, and then the excitement of them actually coming back and taking a lead, and then the nervousness for the Eagles fans at the end. Like, okay, we were down, we're down by one now. We've been kicking their butt the whole game, and we're still down by one. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, the point scored at seventy-four points total. That's a, that's a, almost a record. It was one shy of a record. It was. Uh, 75 uh, scored huh. in Super Bowl 29. But, yeah, 74 total points. Ridiculous. Yeah. And, I mean, if the the kicking is a little better, that's probably a record, right? Uh, yeah, they missed uh, – each missed a field goal. Right. And then uh, – Pats missed an extra, extra point, extra points. Yeah. <laughs> And then we missed uh, the uh, two of those uh, two-point conversions. Right. They could have been more points. It's like <laughs> – yeah, the score was very weird. Like, uh, like to see the twenty-two to twelve score. I know, like people do these gambling things with the grid, and they say yeah, if your if your score is if your last digit of your score is two and last digit of your score is two, you win. I'm sure that person never thought they would have won. <laughs> twenty-two to twelve. That's not a football score. Right. <laughs> but they won at halftime. At least they won whatever yeah. thing they were gambling for then. Yeah. And then I was like that one drive where. Uh, Gronkowski just um, he just ca- caught the ball like seemed like every time and then he caught the touchdown but right. he's having a really good game but he, he didn't he didn't at the beginning but in the second half they just they just flipped the switch and said okay let's go to Gronk yeah and so it looked it up and he had the best uh, best game for a tight end mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl like most yards wow uh, most yards uh, by a tight end. The Eagles were 10 for 16 on third down and two for two on fourth down Con- they converted uh, two thirds. Jeez. Yeah, uh, whereas <laughs> the Patriots were five for ten and one for two on fourth down. Uh, yeah, that says a lot. That, yeah, if there's one stat that's gonna be the difference, that's <laughs> what you do on third down and fourth down. Yeah. yeah. All right, good stuff. Yeah, but um, yep. So glad you. Yeah, you asked. I uh, wish I could. Um, wish I knew more about like the, like I wish I knew as much about football analytics as I do about basketball analytics. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to really like look beyond these these numbers and give you some, some deeper tidbits but uh like I can do for basketball. <laughs> but but um 
Yeah, I just noticed they were throwing the ball a lot. I mean, like, right. I don't know about the lack of running. That wasn't a record, but the, the, the amount of passes was a record. Uh, 93 total passes between mm-hmm. the two teams. So I marked that down like, wow, that's, that was a lot of passing. And, and then with uh, the issue that, that um, New England was going through with, with uh, not starting their their starting corner, Mm-hmm. And, and 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 we're throwing the ball all this time. Right. It really made it made a difference. Uh, I'm sure the guy played. They say they say he played like 98% of the uh, the regular season and the and the playoff snaps on defense and played zero in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? Like, what's going on? And then and then like uh, another thing is that uh, so so then we started looking at okay well, so this guy wasn't in here so who was in there in his place and then like. And then there was a real good stat that I saw. Oh, gosh, was it on ESPN? But uh, um, they're, 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 so they have two corners, and the other guy, whenever they threw his way, nothing was happening. Like it was like the, the team was like, the, um, gosh, something about so it was a ridiculous completion percentage, like hardly any to the one. But then you looked at all the other. So oh yeah, right. so and the, the top two top two equal receivers. Uh, against the one guy was like oh for something right. and against the other was like two like so the, the two the two corners are Rowe and Gilmore for yeah. the Patriots um, so Rowe was the guy who was he was covering Alshon, Alshon Jeffries Jeffrey, right? yeah. and then the other guy yeah and then uh, he was covering like uh, Al- Aguilar and uh, uh, Aguilar and uh, uh, gosh what's the guy 82 uh, from, the, from the Ravens uh, to- uh, Tory Smith mm-hmm. right and so, so they, uh, I saw it on ESPN. It was uh, so Tory Smith and, um, and and Jeffries, right? Our top two receivers or whatever, right? Right. Um, against Rowe, I swear, like it was like over something. But then against Gilmore and others, it was like he was tw- uh, the, 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 like twelve for fourteen yeah. in, in like uh, completions. I might have been like over. I don't know if it was over twelve. Maybe it was two for twelve. But it was something ridiculous. And and that just says so much that. That you know, put the other guy in there. Like, well, what are you doing? And it's like, and it's funny because uh, Roe is the backup. It's Gilmore. Well, and, it's Gilmore and Bu- Gilmore and Butler that are the two starters. Oh, Gilmore. Okay, so so it was, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. What, 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 was it reverse? Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So wait, <coughs> Gilmore's the guy who went to South Carolina with Jeffries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Right, and then the, it was the backup guy. Yeah, and yeah, all that's the Roe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's Roe right. and, and Batamosi, they were playing at the nickel. Um, oh, and who, Chong, Patrick Chong, yeah. those guys. <laughs> yeah. They got torched against our top guys. And, yeah. um, and then uh, yeah. Gilmore was just shutting us down. We got nothing on that guy. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, and then Aguilar, boy, his little uh, his little catches and little runs in the beginning just got us started. Man. Just to see him after you know what he was with Chip Kelly. Like almost out the league it seemed like because he couldn't get himself together. Right. And now two years later, like he's a good, he's a good contrib- contributor to the team. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. But um, yeah, statistical oddities. <laughs> like wow, something's not right mathematically. You know, looking at it, watching the game and being excited. My neighbors, uh, <laughs> my neighbors didn't like the fact that I was <laughs> so loud, but. Yeah. That was 